Good morning. How's your week been? All right. I went to um, a worship concert this week um, over in Dudley, and it was really good to kind of worship God with hundreds of other people, loads of people. And I was there thinking it just reminds me of who God is and kind of puts him in his place and reminds me of who, I'm, who I am and how much I need him. And I thought, man, if we could just kind of have a bigger dose of him, no one would need to say anything in church. No one would need to lead the worship. It would just happen. Um, so pray for that this morning and then I can shut up. Has anyone felt under pressure this week? Has anyone had a tough week? Yeah? Has anyone had an easy week full of great stuff? A few people both ways. What does next week look like? Easy? Tough? Mixture? Mixture? Just want to remind you this morning that Jesus died on the cross to purchase our freedom. Because of the freedom that he purchased for us, we're not slaves anymore. We have free will, we have free choice, we're not in bondage to anything if we live in the freedom that he purchased for us. Sometimes we make choices in life that we make by our own free will that lead to situations where we feel a little bit under pressure. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't make those choices. Uh, Maybe some people are into exercise and they like to push themselves hard and they feel the pressure. Maybe some people work hard or whatever it is. We, we do end up under pressure and it's not always a bad thing. That's not my point. But we make choices that can lead to us feeling a little bit of pressure. And just remember that as we go forwards. Today, the passage that we're looking at is looking at the beginning of Jesus last week before the crucifixion. It's the beginning of the week where he heads into Jerusalem, as we've just heard and um, let's see what his week looks like. I wonder how your amount of pressure compares to his. I just was thinking about that when I was preparing. <laughs> what does my week look like when I compare it to Jesus last week? So the story starts, we're in Bethpage or Bethphage? Can I say Farge and annoy you? Farge. Bethpage. <laughs> just outside Jerusalem. And... Um, Jesus needs to appropriate a donkey. On donkeys, great. <laughs> Cheeky donkey. Um, there should be two of them in the picture, but there's only one. So the donkey gets successfully appropriated. You've just heard the story. You know the story. Jesus sends a couple of disciples. There'll be a donkey. Sure enough, there is a donkey. Uh, and, and they're able to bring the donkey. And that is fulfillment of a prophecy straight away at the beginning of the story from Zechariah 9. Your king will be riding a donkey. Um, and we've got all these crowds of people uh, that are with Jesus about to make this triumphal entry and along the way. And they've got their palm leaves. Nobody lost an eye, Graham. I was disappointed. You promised. Um, <laughs> palm leaves, coats, etc. on the floor to make, I suppose, the, the equivalent of a red carpet. We've got this royal kind of entry into Jerusalem, and I don't know whether some people were picking their coats up, as Graham said, and putting them back down to make sure this thing kept going. I, I don't know, we need a theologian to tell us how far was the distance, John? Was it long? We don't know. 
We don't know. Perfect. So, for an indeterminate distance, Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem with people laying down palm leaves and coats. He was sat on people's coats on the donkey, and um, maybe it looked something like this. Um, I don't know. It's one I found on the internet, so it's probably reliable. I did resist the urge this morning to have a hobby horse and some coconuts and, and reenact the whole thing. I'm not sure it would have done it justice. A hobby donkey, not a hobby horse. Um, but some of the people in Jerusalem, as he's arriving, clearly still don't know who Jesus is. They say, well, who is this? What's going on? And the people with Jesus say, well, he's the prophet Jesus from near Galilee. And Actually, Jesus is being introduced as a prophet. He's not being introduced as God or the Son of God. And to be fair to that crowd, what's happened every time that Jesus has been spotted, when someone said, you must be, you are, what does he tell them? Shh, don't mention it. Keep it quiet. You know, don't pass it on. So certainly some of the people there are seeing Jesus as a prophet. But he's arriving in Jerusalem and this is his kind of first public arrival in Jerusalem. In Luke, he goes to Jerusalem for the Jewish festivals. In the other Gospels, he doesn't appear in Jerusalem, I don't think. John, is that? I should have checked my theology first. In the other Gospels, he doesn't appear in Jerusalem until now, as far as I can tell. But he probably did go to the Jewish festivals, but he wouldn't have gone kind of publicly, oh, hey, here I am, whereas this time, he's made a public entrance. He's fulfilled the prophecy in Zechariah. He's starting to make a statement about who he is. So that's the prelude to this story. We then head towards the temple, Mark. Temple. Um, and the bit that we're talking about, if you can see on this picture, I'm sure you can't read all the writing, but you've got this kind of square or rectangle at the front here. It's inside, but it's not in the middle. And that's called the Court of the Gentiles. And that's where all this kerfuffle happens with these traders and their stalls. Um, he turns up and turns over their tables, chucks their money on the floor, opens the cages for their birds. And I mean, I don't know if you've met a market trader, but I'm not sure I'd mess with them. <laughs> they're, they're used to wheeling and dealing and doing deals. And I've got a picture of a market. I don't have a picture of the market in the temple, but it's modern day, but maybe it was a bustling Eastern kind of market. It was, it was people doing a deal over getting the right animal to sacrifice. It was Passover week. There were hundreds of thousands of people extra in Jerusalem, all there for that week. And um, can you imagine just heading into there and having the audacity to say this isn't right and throw it all on the floor? Would people think you were a terrorist? Would people think you were mad? Would people think you were God? Maybe not. However, uh, prophecy fulfilled again, Isaiah 56, 7. And in this space that's now been cleared, the court of, can we just flip back again, Mark? The court of the Gentiles there wasn't any space, is the implication of what the scripture says, for other people to come in. This is where people can come who aren't allowed into the middle of the temple for whatever reason. So the sick people could come here and um, get healing or prayer. So all these sick people turn up, and it says that supernaturally enough or naturally enough, Jesus healed them. 
The children start coming in or hanging around and shouting, Hosanna, son of David. Hosanna to David's son. Now, I was going to ask people if they knew what Hosanna meant. Sorry, Thanks, Simon. Does anyone remember what Hosanna means? <laughs> Not you, Simon. Save us. Um, I note it's down here. Yeah, I beg you to save us or please deliver us is probably about as literal a translation as we could, as we could get. But the implication of what they're saying is implying that Jesus has the power to save them. And they may well be indicating in the words that they've used that they believe he's the Messiah or that he's God or in some way related to God. Um, and... Once again, prophecy fulfilled from Psalm 8, verse 2. So this whole kerfuffle's going on, and it, it's not neat. It's not kind of God in a box. It's God out the box. It's Jesus being audacious and brave and free in a way that I'm not. I don't know if you are. Maybe you are. Maybe if God tells you to go and do something that seems really wacky and out there, you wouldn't struggle with it. I think I would. And kind of unsurprisingly, the religious leaders in the temple that day, the Pharisees, get rather upset about what's going on. I'm, I'm pretty sure they don't like the, this, this kind of trade being interrupted. I think Jesus was particularly annoyed with the trade because they've made it about buying the right uh, animal to sacrifice and, and following the religious motions. They've made it about them profiting out of it. They've made it about having the right currency instead of it being about a heart change, which Jesus was interested in. It become about religion and not a change of the heart. And we need to make sure we don't do the same, try and make a set of rules to follow or something, instead of God working on our insides. But then also, confusingly, Jesus has been healing people. And as a religious leader, you must be thinking, what is going on? This chaos, this man, we need to sort this out. But on the other hand, there's people here getting healed. And if we say he's bad, I mean, it, what, those people are quite pleased about receiving their healing, I should think. We've got a careful path to tread here when someone walks in and causes chaos. Um, and then the children are kind of inferring he's the Messiah, and that's blasphemy, and why is he leading these children astray? So the religious leaders are up in arms. He can't be the Messiah, can he? Anyway, Jesus gets fed up with all this, it says, and I don't know, maybe he's feeling under pressure. Maybe he's had enough for the day. So he decides to go to um, Bethany for the night. And is that for his safety, leaving Jerusalem? Does he think he'll maybe not be followed? Does he know somebody there? Is Jerusalem full? Is it another case of no room at the inn? Not sure. But he goes somewhere quiet to rest. And then you kind of brief interval... Nighttime happens, morning comes, and we get to the section which I've called Not Figs for Breakfast. And we have a picture of a fig tree. There we go. That's what figs look like. The thing about a fig tree, uh, and this one has got figs, uh, is that the figs grow at the same time as the leaves. You can actually see that they're on the same kind of shoots. So if you see a fig tree with leaves on, you're going to expect that hidden under those nice green leafy leaves are fruit. Very tempting to talk about Genesis and fig leaves this morning, but we'll, 
We'll just leave that one to your imagination. Um, so Jesus has had a fairly high-pressure day. He's had a night off. He's chilled out. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's hungry. He arrives at this fig tree with all the green leaves, and he goes to look behind the leaves, and there's nothing there. So this is like you, you Kellogg's cornflakes are in the cupboard. They're what you want for breakfast. They're all you've got, but there's nothing in the box. Disappointing? Um, we could kind of put you in the middle of nowhere with your cereal and your milk, your empty cereal box and your empty milk, just trying to kind of get you there. He just, you know, I just, I just deserve a, a nice breakfast of figs, and it's not there. Anyway, he does the natural thing, of course, or the supernatural thing again, which Jesus does, and he says, well, if you're not going to be a fruitful tree and have figs when you've got leaves, you'll never do it again. And he curses the tree, and then as if, like in a nature program, where we get the, um, the time-lapse shots all put together quickly, this tree withers and dies to the amazement of the disciples uh, right in front of their eyes, which would be a fairly shocking thing. I mean, I might think, he's having a bad morning, step back from a disciple, I don't know, just trying to put a human aspect on this, or maybe think, wow, he's, he's onto something here. That tree was bad. But I think, obviously, there's something maybe a bit more going on here, and we could read many, many layers into this story, but is he making a statement about the hollow religion of the day that has become about religion? Does it look green and leafy from a distance, but when you get closer and look for the fruit, you can't find any? There's nothing to it. Could I be challenged by this? If one of you guys think that my life looks green and leafy from a distance... If you get up close and start looking for the fruit, not behind my fig leaves, but looking for the fruit in my life, <laughs> would you actually find any? Would people find the fruit in your life if you're looking green and leafy? You know, are you, um, have you got a mask on, a green leaf? Have you, are you wearing your fig leaves to look okay? Or have you got fig leaves because you've got fruit behind it? God judges the heart. He's not interested in hollow religion. Don't bother. Be real. And I think what we see also in this is that Jesus, across the passage, is being very, very real. He's kind of, he's not putting on a show anymore. He's not, he's not trying to not upset people. He's not trying to kind of hold back. He's, he's not holding back the punches. He's on it. Anyway, um, we could just go back to the first temple shot, Mark. Please. So we've, I don't know if you found anything else for breakfast. It doesn't tell us, but then we don't normally get stories in the Bible about what was for lunch, what was for tea, what was, you know, when did they pop to the bathroom, etc. We didn't, you know, it's, it's not the way it goes, but we presume he found some breakfast. Or if not, maybe he was just letting that one go. But he goes back into the temple where he's just caused all this chaos the day before. He's just upset the religious leaders. He's just slipped away before they, they, they did something to him, perhaps. And he's back in the temple, and he's stood teaching people, which, given those events of the previous day, is maybe a little surprising again. If, if you got in trouble for doing something in a public place, 
would you be back there in a more prominent way the next day? I don't know. Healing on the streets. Do you ever get yourselves in trouble, Derek? Well, we did, but we then moved. To a more prominent place. <laughs> <laughs> to a less prominent place. I don't want to no, no, no. <laughs> um, I don't think I'd have the guts to behave how Jesus behaves in his freedom. So the religious leaders come along. Who said you could teach here? Jesus being a little bit clever with them. Well, okay, you answer my question, I'll answer yours. Um, And he asked them a very clever question, which traps them. And we're not going to go into the detail of that, other than he gets them completely caught so they can't answer his question, and then he refuses to answer theirs. He just plays plain awkward. Um, And I think there's maybe a tip from this at a practical level. If we try arguing with Jesus, who's going to win? I try arguing with my three-year-old and I lose. So uh, goodness knows what chance I've got against God. Anyway, I hope in some way that overview helps bring the, bring the entry to life in some way. I'm not promising that I'm perfectly historically accurate, but I hope I've made you think about the story and get inside it a little bit as we just bring a bit of a conclusion to this. And it's a tough um, talk, this one, because... I'm not allowed to stray to the end of the week, and we all know what happens. It's not like you don't know what happens uh, in this week. But we've got to kind of draw a midpoint conclusion and leave you on a nice cliffhanger for whoever comes next week. (laughs) Um, So what's it all about? Jesus is revealing who he is. For the first time in the Gospels, he's really blatantly fulfilling these prophecies with the donkey from Zechariah, turning the tables from Isaiah, the traders, and actually kind of being hinted at as being the Messiah by the children from Psalms. He's not saying to people, shh, 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 you don't ride in on a donkey with this royal entry if you want to be subtle. It, it stands out. And I think the other thing that we're just seeing here is how Jesus behaves under immense pressure. There's this this thing that I don't really get, and and maybe you will get it better than me, that Jesus was completely human and he was God. Is that easy for you guys to grasp? You got it, Graham? (laughs) Completely human and God. And there's lots of being God that if we see him as just God could stop him being human. But he was human. He went through the things we went through. And I think that's the... He's God, but he's human. God, human. So he had complete freedom. He was the freest person that ever was when he was walking about in bodily form, and he's the freest person now. And he's kind of demonstrating to us the level of freedom that is available. Anybody want that? Is it a bit scary? Maybe in his humanness, he was tempted to give in to doubts about whether or not he was the Messiah and whether this week and its path was really for him. Maybe, maybe it's somebody else and I got it all wrong. Maybe it would be easy to believe that or be tempted to believe that doubt. Maybe he'd be tempted to think we could do it a different way. I could just change the plan slightly. I'm maybe not hearing Father God quite right. Maybe he was tempted to give in to the pressure and say, I know it's your plan, 
God, but it's too big. I can't do it. It's not fair. But he didn't give in to any of those temptations that I think he must have felt something of being human, or he wasn't human if he didn't feel it. So this complete freedom that he has, he chooses to use it in order to submit to the will of his father, God. So he's got the freedom, he's got his choices in life, and he chooses to submit to God. He knows what's coming at the end of the week. Some of the people still don't get who he is. He's not revolutionized the world, set up a new kind of um, empire that people would have understood in that day. I mean, maybe he's even got some slight doubts around, is this enough? Is this going to work out? I hope so. And he's got the religious leaders hot on his tail out to get him. They'd rather he wasn't around causing chaos. Lest of all this busy week. In his freedom, he chose the way of God. In his freedom, he chose the way of God. I just want to go right back to the beginning and say, in the light of what you've heard so far, how does your week look? All the freedom of Jesus is available. He didn't die on the cross so that you could come to church. He didn't die on the cross for you to get to heaven only by the skin of your teeth. He died on the cross that you might have life and life to the full and the freedom. God didn't send his son Jesus to the cross for you to get a little bit of the benefit. He wants you to get full value out of what he's paid for. When you buy something, you like to kind of get the most. I do. I like to get the most. I'm tight. I like to get the most out of it. And I think God wants us. It's his desire that we get the most out of what Jesus paid for on that cross. He came to earth and he died to pay the price for your freedom. He is not unaware what your week has been like or what next week looks like. He knows what a tough week is like. He's been there. He's well acquainted with it. This week, can you cry out, Hosanna, son of David, come and rescue me from captivity? I want the freedom that you paid the price for, nothing less. Hosanna, son of David, come and rescue us from captivity. We want the freedom that you paid the price for, nothing less. You don't have to feel it, you don't have to try, you don't have to suck it up and work harder and try and earn this, or achieve this, or read your Bible harder, or concentrate more. You have to submit yourself to what he's done for you, accept it, and then submit yourself to the way of the Father with this freedom that he's given us, and ask what he wants you to do this week. Ask what he wants you to do in those situations at work. Ask what he wants you to do in those family situations. Ask what he wants you to be praying for even and follow the way of the Father, because that's what Jesus did. Hosanna, son of David, come and rescue us from captivity. We want the freedom that you paid the price for, 
nothing less. God, help us to know that in our hearts that you're our Father in a really real way. Give us the revelation that Jesus had that you are his Father, that you are our Father, and that you care and that you're with us. Help us choose to use the freedom that you've given us, the freedom that you paid for through the death of your son Jesus, to follow your ways, Father God. Thank you that you never leave us or give up on us. Yeah, God, we just praise you because you're a good father. Sorry that we wander astray and we don't take full advantage of all the gifts and blessings that you pour out on us. We give you permission to come and invade our lives now. We give you permission to come and speak to us this week. We give you permission to kind of turn up and turn the tables of our hearts and our minds over and wake us up to the reality of kingdom living and heart living and not religious living. We pray that you would come and have your way with us today, that you would come and have your way in our hearts this week. God, we don't want to be mediocre anymore and we don't want to live in captivity to the decisions that we make. We want to live in all the freedom that you've promised. We hold on to that, we declare it, and we ask for it, God. Give us your freedom. Help us break free. Help us not conform. In Jesus' name, amen.